I'm Dan Kimbrough, and this is Systemic, a podcast about race. I'm a diversity and inclusion advocate and trainer, educator, trained conflict mediator, and media producer with over 20 years of community building and diversity experience. From local communities to university campuses to corporate trainings, I've used my voice to bring people together and better understand each other. I'm also a black man and father. Each episode of Systemic will explore new aspects of race and racism in America. We will look at where we've been, how we got here, how it affects us today, and how we can move forward. The aim is to educate and explain the intertwining of race as a systemic part of American history and culture. We hope that each episode enlightens and drives you to help work towards an anti-racist future. In this episode of Systemic, we sit down with Rahime Ramazane, who is a DEI practitioner with a focus in integrating Muslim and religious identity into DEI practices. She identifies as a multi-ethnic Shia Muslim and has a master's degree in intercultural communications as well as a certificate in advanced global leadership. Rahime's consulting strives towards genuine inclusion and belonging, drawing from her education and lived experiences as a Muslim woman living in the United States. All right, so today we're here with Rahime Ramazani, uh, and we're going to be discussing um, the Western views of Muslim women in the Muslim faith and Islam in general. Uh, but I want to sort of start off with, what does it mean to be Muslim? And that's a big, broad question. So however you want to tackle that. Yeah, no, definitely. I actually got this question a long time ago from a middle school student that I was giving a like Islam 101, Muslims 101 talk to. And it really threw me at the time. So thankfully, like now I'm prepared. (laughs) And for me, I feel like going back. So when I talk about Islam and Muslims, I try and distinguish between Islam, the religion, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Muslims, the people, right? Those are different things. So I am not an Islamic scholar. I am a very imperfect Muslim, just trying my best to practice my faith, learn more about my faith. So I don't talk too much about Islam, the religion per se. Mm -hmm. But Muslims are people essentially who follow the religion of Islam. And they have to have said a shahada is what it is called in Arabic or the profession of faith, which Mm -hmm. the bare minimum is that they believe in the oneness of God. So Islam is a monotheistic religion and they believe in the prophethood of the prophet Muhammad, who was born in what is now present day Saudi Arabia. But of course, Saudi Arabia, the country didn't exist back then. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be like the bare minimum for what is considered a Muslim. And then of the 1.8 estimated billion Muslims around the world, (laughs) that as you can imagine, leaves a great deal of diversity, even in religious belief, exactly. But then also adherence to religious practices, And then also what I, again, focus on with Muslims Mm -hmm. is that as people, just like any group, religious or otherwise, there is part of what we do in our daily lives, the decisions that we make, our priorities that are related to our Islamic faith. But we do things for many different reasons, right? Oh, I'm having a bad day. And so I might not be as patient as the religion of Islam asks me to be. But that's me, Rahime being an imperfect human being who's trying to be better for many different reasons. So yeah, that's, that's what I would go with. It's very complicated and nuanced, but yeah. 
No, no, I love that. And I love that, which kind of leads me to the next idea of um, some of the materials that you sent, which I'll be sharing out um, to followers, is one of the, that, the notion of there are different ways to mm. be Muslim. Mm. And that because 1.8 billion mm. and we have this, you know, in the Western culture, we have this very narrow scope and view yeah. of what that is. What does it mean that there is multiple ways to be Muslim? There are so many ways to be Muslim, and that's why I start with like the bare minimum. It's just mm-hmm. the Shahada, the profession of faith. Like you believe in the oneness of God, and you believe in this prophet that we believe is like in a succession of prophets. We also believe mm-hmm. in Moses. We also we believe that Jesus was actually a human prophet, right? So we revere him very greatly. We have so much respect for him. We have a lot of respect for our cousin. Like we believe that like Jews and Christians are like cousin face. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of respect for other traditions that you will see in other religious groups. <clears throat> a lot of like non-Abrahamic faiths, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, like we share a lot of the same values. A lot of world religions share essentially the same values, which is a really beautiful thing. But the idea of like in the religion of Islam, we are allowed to practice our own ethnic cultures. And, you know, people are different genders and are able to express themselves in different ways. So, yeah, there's like a common thread of like doing you know if you are a practicing muslim that do does your five daily prayers like okay that intersperses your day for sure but like you might have a different prayer outfit like some cultures wear a certain kind of like outfit that is like easy to put on or traditional to their ethnic culture and others wear a different one color schemes mm-hmm. right if you go to saudi arabia or like the arab peninsula in general my understand i'm not arab just to be clear i am not arab um i think it's very important to be clear <laughs> like nope. when i'm speaking from like my personal experience or you know identities versus you know just being amongst other muslim groups yeah. right you will see that traditionally a lot of women if they wear abayas which are like Really, really loose dresses, long sleeve mm-hmm. dresses, right? If I would describe it. Um, Arabs, please don't come for me if you don't like that description. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you know, I'm more than happy to be like called out and like, but please don't. <laughs> <laughs> but just be, like for, for a non Muslim yeah. audience, it's like a very long, loose dress. Yeah. For the women, it's usually black. Uh, Mm -hmm. And for men, also, again, like a very long, loose dress. You might see like Arab traditional garb for men is also like that, but Mm -hmm. usually white. Right. And the idea being also that aside from like in the religion of Islam, modesty is very important for all people, men Mm -hmm. and women. (laughs) Okay, it does look slightly different, but like with the hijab, right, if some if Muslim women choose to wear the hijab and even amongst that, there's like a difference of opinion. I've had conversations with Muslims, Muslim mm-hmm. women, not Muslim men, Muslim <laughs> women who have said, like, I have studied it. They they have studied it. Mm-hmm. And they don't think that hijab, like the what you see me wearing, like a piece of fabric mm-hmm. on my head that covers like my ears, my neck, my hair. Um, I'm not talking about niqab that would cover my whole uh, nose and mouth. And then a burqa would be the whole face. There are Muslim women who think that that's not a thing like none Mm -hmm. of this is a thing it's completely made up there are are people who will criticize me and say why aren't you wearing niqab right like oh this isn't proper hijab right so like even within that like there's differences of opinion no that's that's just like it's just so complicated like you can't go to another person like honestly if someone tells you that they're muslim i'm like okay i believe you like it's like none of my business (laughs) no 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 like literally that's it but no i get that i get that yeah 
Well, that's interesting, and I like and I like that you say, especially like the differences that in reading the Quran, you tweeze out what it means to you, and that's how you sort of choose to to, to practice it. Well, I would, I would. Oh, okay. Just no, no, no. Uh-huh. Like push back. So it's not that individuals read the Quran mm-hmm. and then we decide what we think of it, right? Mm-hmm. So especially given that the Quran is unique in that. It is still in its original um, Arabic. Yeah. And so, and and the Arabic of the Quran is very different than Mm -hmm. what you might see spoken in any Arab country today, right? Mm -hmm. So there's modern Arabic, and then, of course, there's different dialects. Iraqis speak different Arabic than uh, Kuwaitis, than Egyptians, than um, Lebanese. Like they speak different dialects. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, again, not being Arab, I know this because I studied abroad in Jordan and I had to choose like what kind of Arabic I wanted to learn as a part of the study abroad program. And I was like, oh, I'll learn Arabic and it'll be great. And I can go to all these countries. And like, ah, if you learn Egyptian Arabic, like if you go to like Iraq, like they're not going to be able to talk to each other. And I'm like, wow, dread. (laughs) Oh my God. That's like, that's a whole other thing. Like, okay, I'm going to. We can no, talk about fine. that later. But yeah, but the idea being right, like, so modern day Arabic. And so the analogy that I usually use is, you know, so I obviously speak English. English is the only language I speak. But I, like in middle school, mm-hmm. high school, I don't know if, you know, if anyone listening went through the American school system, you probably read some Shakespeare, mm-hmm. right? And so even if English is like a fluent language for you, maybe it's your native language or, you know, you have fluency in it. It is incredibly difficult to read Shakespeare. Like there are whole books that are just like literal translations into modern English. So you can read the cliff notes and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very similar to that. Like you might pick up a few words. You might pick up like a few phrases, especially like if you were raised Muslim, you're going to have learned Islamic religious Quranic Arabic to some extent. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is very different. So you definitely need to have like a scholar who has gone to school specifically to learn there's also a lot of i'm sorry i'm spending a lot of time talking about islam it, islam it is but it's okay. nice i have i don't usually like i said i don't usually get this deep into like the islam the religion but mm-hmm. i do think it's really cool for non-muslims to have this understanding that like aside from like terrorism and oppression mm-hmm. and oh muslim women are so oppressed and like aside from like all that like there's a lot like I'm proud to be Muslim. Muslims are proud of our identity, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of constantly having to defend ourselves. So anyway, thank you for allowing me no, please. the opportunity. All the, tangi- all the tangents. We'll take them. Thank you. <laughs> I, and I have ADHD, so you will get those tangents. Big time you will get those tangents. So. Um, but no, so you were pushing back, though, when I said that you tweeze out what you want from the Quran. <clears throat> and you were correcting me on yeah. that. Yeah. No, no. Yes. Thank yeah. you. So the mm-hmm. idea being is like similarly to a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Like I could pick up a medical textbook, but I'm not going to understand anything it says if I try and follow things based off of my, again, and I also, mm-hmm. if it's not clear, like I am not in the medical profession at all. <laughs> I have a huge phobia of needles. I could never, oh my God, I could never do that. And that's the thing. I have respect, right? It's mm-hmm. not disrespect is like awe for people who go into those professions so there are people who go years and years and years and years studying the jargon and okay if this happens then this should happen if this happens then okay here are the exceptions here's the context of which this came out like all of that you know comes from medical degrees and people Mm -hmm. in healthcare it is similar to folks in the islamic tradition who are scholars they go and learn not just like the language itself of the Quran, but also so much of Islam is contextual, right? Mm -hmm. So that honestly is a lot of the critiques 
of Islam as a religion is that a non-Muslim will pick up a English translation of uh, uh, of the Quran, right? Which that Mm -hmm. itself, like just the translation, even if you were just looking at translation, like there's a lot of really problematic translations out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So a non-Muslim, even if they do have good intentions, let's just say like, let's ignore those like rampant Islamophobes out there. But if they have good intentions, they pick up a copy, an English copy of the Quran, they just read that and they're like, oh my God, this is so problematic. Like, how could anyone believe it? And that's the thing. Like, I agree. Like, if that's how you went about learning the religion, like, and I, and when I first became a practicing Muslim, I was raised in a Muslim. I was born and raised in a Muslim family, but I wasn't practicing until my 20s in college. Mm-hmm. And so when I started like actively pursuing like, hey, do I really actually actually want to be Muslim? I did do that exactly. Then I'm like, oh my God, what the heck? Is, like, why are we doing that? Like, what? <laughs> Dad, mom, like, what? why am I on earth? Right. And then, you know, I had the opportunity because thankfully I am, mm-hmm. you know, lucky that I had a community to go to and scholars who had learned and be like, oh my God, what, what the heck is this? And they're like, okay, so here's like an understanding of like, just the translation itself. But then also mm-hmm. this verse was, you know, we believe revealed from God to the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, um, in a specific situation. So something was happening mm-hmm. and then Muslims believe that God revealed a certain verse, just like a verse or a couple of verses at a time related to that specific event. So you have to like, look at what was the context okay. of that event. Right. So for instance, like, I don't mind going there. Like there are Mm -hmm. verses that a lot of folks who are non-Muslim believe that it shows that Muslims like need to hate non-Muslims or like all non-Muslims are evil or Jews are evil or Christians are evil or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the idea with those verses, to my knowledge, is that it was a matter of the groups of people at the time who the Quran is describing were like actually attacking the Muslim groups, right? Mm -hmm. So this isn't applied to like literally every non-Muslim for all of time forever, right? Right. So I'll just stop there. But just again, like just the idea of like, there's so much context and there's so Mm -hmm. much learning. Yeah. No, but that's a great great way of of contextualizing it because when I have conversations like that's, well, it's such an evil religion and this, this, and this, and understanding A, you've probably read an American translation, so you've lost whatever in translation. Mm -hmm. But B, if you don't understand the societal context of what was happening Mm -hmm. at that moment, like, yes, there were Christians attacking us. Christians are bad. (laughs) Because we're talking about- This group that was doing these actions. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. No, that's a good framework to understand. And even like, it's a whole book. Like, it's a whole (laughs) book. You can't just pick out like, that's another thing, right? And that's the thing, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I am going to look I at this one verse religions. and ignore the whole rest of the book. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. Muslims. Also, so just one last mm-hmm. thing. Muslims yeah. also believe um, in what is called the Sunnah, which is like the actions of the prophet. So the prophet. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Muslims believe. Right. Mm-hmm. That if you don't. And I'm trying to be very clear uh, mm-hmm. in my work in general. And then obviously in this conversation for sure, like. I am describing what Muslims believe, but if you don't believe it, then like, that's fine. Like I, I please don't believe it. Right. But if you're trying to understand Muslims better, like just understand that this is what we believe. Right. So just to make that clear, um, I apps, I hate proselytizing. I hate when people come at me to be like, (laughs) here, let me persuade you to be like me. And I'm like, Oh God, like, let me leave. So I try very hard and that's not my work at all. So just to be clear about that, 
So the idea with Muslims is that we have the Quran as a source of Islamic knowledge for our religion and how to live our lives, but we also have the Sunnah of the Prophet, which is like the actions of the Prophet and how he interacted with people because it gives us an example of how to go about our daily life to treat people with patience and kindness and how to treat children with softness and understanding. And like children would climb on the prophet's back when he was praying and how he, how much patience he would have with them and gentleness and love and stuff like that with animals, with nature, mm -hmm. with other Muslims, with non-Muslims, like all these things give us examples of how to live our lives. That's crazy. And I, and I like the way you've explained it. As someone who grew up in a Christian a Christian family, mm -hmm. and that's a, is what it is. Mm -hmm. They're very it, so many parallels, right? Like, yeah, and it's and it's it, it's if you remove the societal implications of what's going on, and you just sort of understand these sort of basic tenets, like, oh, it's not very different than what's yeah. being understood over here. Mm -hmm. It's just culture gets involved and people get crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. and I understand like the mm -hmm. media. That's the thing. Like, yeah, which is where I want to go next. So, yeah, <laughs> let's go there. Let's do it. <laughs> Yeah. And so what is it what is it about Western media you think that continues to want to perpetrate these images? Um yeah. in my in my learning and my teaching, like I we I when I used to teach a film class, we would study the documentary Real Bad Arabs mm. and try to make it plain to students like mm. what you're seeing is mm. literally a frame that has been created by Hollywood yeah. and Western media that this is all this itty bitty thing is all you're seeing yeah. out of all of what the Muslim and Arab world actually is. Yeah. And that thread is all you're getting. So it's not the yeah. truth. Make sure one bad thing happened and now we believe this going forward, but there's a propaganda yeah. machine behind that. What does yeah. that affect on the Muslim faith? <laughs> However you want to tackle it. Yeah. So <laughs> something that I, I thank you. One, thank you so much for doing that. Mm -hmm. Like as a Muslim, I'm so grateful that there are people <laughs> who are non-Muslim who are going out of their way to like try and interrupt these stereotypes. So thank you. And you anyone listening, if you do that, like, no, I'm seriously grateful. Um, so the idea with most systems is you have to follow the money. Yep. What is the media? Is it a nonprofit that's just out to do good? No, it's a for-profit business. How does the media make money? The media makes money by getting eyeballs on their articles, on their news segments, on their social media posts, what have you. Okay, how do they get those eyeballs? They have to be sensationalistic, especially as time goes on and people get like used to clickbait and people get used to like violence, so they have to be more violent. They're used to sexuality, mm -hmm. so they have to be more sexual, like just like amping it up to compete with eyeballs. And especially again, also in the age of social media, it's not just traditional media that other traditional media sources have to compete with. They now have like literally anyone can create a social media page and start putting out content and take eyeballs away from other Right. media sources right so okay they continue to get eyeballs and attract different eyeballs by being incredibly sensationalistic it is not going to sell and it's not going to get eyeballs if they're talking about hey look at this normal person doing something completely normal <laughs> so that we can like you know yeah no like it's just not gonna happen and right it, yeah no i get that and it's funny like so I, so i teach um i used to teach a, a media foundations course and mm. one of our sections is sort of looking at that like what yeah. are the seven news values and like one of them is you know it's the bizarreness of it man bites yeah. dog is much more interesting than a dog biting a man yeah and that elevates where it falls, and you know, a it's man one of those bites a dog. <laughs> it's, that's a headline, right? Like that, like just popped in my head. 
I would that's why that. it works. I would stop. I would that would stop me scrolling. Like what? What? What is that? Yeah. Exactly. So that idea that you know, and 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 I want to say you know, separating the idea that like traditional news and what and I always I always tell my students the news you're watching at home on your local mm. stations is mm. not Fox News, is mm. not CNN, is not MSNBC. They're not reporting those stories, and so usually you get better coverage at home than you do in the national outlets. But even at mm. home, the same news values. Yeah. You've got to figure out how yeah. do I get eyeballs, and you're yeah. right. So Social media only makes it worse. Yeah. And so the idea, yeah. So they have to be sensational. And that's the thing. Like, yes, I talk about Muslims. I am Muslim. And I want to make sure that like breaking stereotypes and generalizations and biases about Muslims. However, this principle applies to like all other marginalized identity mm-hmm. groups, right? Mm-hmm. If you have, for instance, black folks, right? Mm-hmm. How much do they talk about like black on black crime and look at this horrible thing that a black person like, yep. oh my God. And then it plays into people's biases of like, see, I had this impression about Muslims, about black folks, about Latinos, Latinxes, mm-hmm. about Asian people, about like women, about like whatever group. Mm-hmm. And I already had this stereotype and now this like verifies and now I have a, like a stronger stereotype generalization about these people, right? So there's just so much going on there. What I do have hope with social media and why I'm really active on social media, it's not for everyone. There's Mm -hmm. definitely pros and cons to everything. (laughs) But the idea being is that everyday people can share about their experiences. And if you have some level of media literacy, you can go out of your way, realize that this is what traditional media does and how it can promote stereotypes about different groups and like fan the flames of discrimination and like legitimately oppression mm-hmm. and white supremacy yeah. <laughs> is yeah. that go out of your way to find people who talk about their lived experiences from identity groups that you don't belong to so that you can just normalize them as everyday people. Right. Yeah. I have yeah. done that with so many groups that I don't belong to and I can feel the effects and it's not going up to your like classmate your coworker from an identity group and being like hey can you like teach me about your people like leave those people like leave people alone they're just living their lives like they don't owe you an right. explanation of like inviting you to their homes to like prove that they're a human being and like worthy of compassion like oh that's gross <laughs> right no but no seriously right no, like, i know so- i agree i'm laughing because it's it's i can see that mentally and it's hilarious yeah Like, I know black folks get it a lot where, like, some white or Mm non-black person will go up to them and be like, hey, what is, I don't know. No, no, I get it. What is Juneteenth? And, like, could you please Google it, please? Right. Let me touch your hair. How do you do that? Oh, my God. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, that's always a fun one. That is always, not for me, clearly, but. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, no, like, you have to laugh about it to, like, cope, Mm -hmm. right? To just get through it, right? And honestly, I think. That gets me in trouble sometimes because, yeah, Mike, like, I am sarcastic. Never mean sarcastic. I'm never going to make fun of people. But, like, as a coping mechanism, as a way of, like, lightening the mood to try Mm -hmm. and get people who wouldn't normally be open to this conversation to, like, start thinking about it, I think humor has a really big role to play in that. It's one tool in the toolbox. It's not the only tool. It's not used for every situation and all that. But sometimes people can take it wrong of like, oh, you are laughing at like really horrific events. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Nope, I'm just coping. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's this or crying in front of you. Seriously. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, so back to media. So Mm -mm. the the role 
understanding that for for a lot of for almost every culture, but looking at Western media, it's the gateway, and it's in its in its design, right? It's uh, uh, my students would laugh at me because I'm forgetting the term. I'll come back to it. Uh-huh. But it's literally how we learn about other cultures. Yeah. In our in the U.S. is through the media, and so when you look at Western media's portrayal of Muslims and Muslim women specifically, mm. what's in your words? What is that impact? Like, what's the so? We'll take a look what is on non-Muslims what is and Muslims? Yeah. So, like on for, well, for Muslims specifically, mm-hmm. what does that look like? How do you see yourself portrayed in Western media? I I don't want to say like no one is like me. I'm so unique. Like <laughs> teenage Rahime coming out. <laughs> um, I personally have like I've long given up on Western media as a source of information for other groups. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what like what I suggest yeah. to other people. Like I actively go out of my way to find like real people to follow on d- different socials that I'm active on, and then like consume it straight from them. Mm-hmm. But I would say from being obviously in community with other Muslims who do pay attention to these sorts of things, right? Like Miss Marvel was really, really big. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of other American shows that have done a good job, better job um, mm-hmm. of portraying Muslims. And there are definitely some that don't. And I would say that generally there's a lot of exhaustion, a lot of frustration around continually promoting stereotypes Mm -hmm. about Muslims, especially Muslim women. Mm -hmm. I would say that Muslim women who don't wear hijab tend to be portrayed as more liberated and more progressive and just generally better, Mm -hmm. just positive traits versus Muslim women who do wear hijab are secretly unhappy or not so secretly unhappy or Mm -hmm. oppressed or just negative qualities yeah right um and i do want to be very clear for any non-muslims listening to this or any of my sisters in islam who wear hijab or don't wear hijab who may be listening this is not a matter of judging a muslim woman based off of where whether she wears hijab as better or not Mm -hmm. that is none of my business um and i would never throw another muslim woman or anyone under the bus if muslims want to have an internal like family conversation about our values and how is the best way to be muslims then every community has that right to talk amongst themselves and debate but publicly like it i'm never going to be telling anyone and i don't believe that i am better like Mm -hmm. internally or otherwise i don't believe that i am better than any muslim or you know woman man what have you for any of their practices that they do or don't do that i do or don't do So just with having said that, media portrayals is that hijab, the piece of fabric that's covering my head and some other Muslim women choose to wear, is that it is oppression, it is anti-feminist, it is, you know, we are subject to the whims of the men in our lives, our fathers, our husbands, our brothers, what have you. Yeah. And that is very frustrating. Mm -hmm. That is very frustrating. So again, like for me, why I've kind of just stopped paying attention to Western media because it's like, okay, you're not going to do a good job. If a Muslim puts forward a video, a movie Mm -hmm. or a podcast or a social media page or what have you, then I'm like, oh, okay, I'll pay attention to that. But also keeping in mind, right, and I say this as well for anyone who follows me or listens to things that I talk about, anyone listening to Mm -hmm. this podcast, 
I am but one Muslim. I have one perspective. I have one lived experience, especially given, excuse me, the intersections of my own identity, right? Like I am multi-ethnic. I have an Iranian immigrant father. I have a like mixed European descent white mother. Um, I am incredibly lacking in melanin and I have hazel eyes. And so even though it would be very easy for me or people like me to come up onto a platform and say, oh, I have this marginalized identity as a Muslim woman who wears hijab, and this is what I struggle with, and I wish people wouldn't discriminate me and all of that, and that might all be true. However, I don't have the level of oppression and the impact of white supremacy on me that my darker skin, brown, and black sisters do, Mm -hmm. right? And it would be very wrong for me to not be able to use whatever platform that I am able to access to uplift my siblings in faith men as well right like mm-hmm. men with dark skin as well want to make sure i protect my brothers too but like especially my sisters especially my sisters you know <laughs> no i get that um one of the things um one of the videos you sent from the um the muslims um youtube channel mm-hmm. one of the themes that kept popping up was the idea that often the the portrayal of muslim women specifically with the head mm-hmm. covering mm-hmm. is that they're always trying to escape uh-huh. they're yeah. always trying to get yeah. away yeah. when and it, but in, in each of the videos it was like no no we're always trying to come become closer to our faith like yeah. part of the reason we're doing this is yeah. to be closer to our faith not to run away from our faith can you speak to that a little bit yeah like i had mentioned earlier like i as a muslim Muslims are proud of being Muslim. We want to be Muslim. We want to practice our faith. Um, We don't, like in the work that I do in DEI, in workplaces, there's like an appropriate way of practicing your faith that's not, again, like pushing it on other people or not taking away from your projects or the work that you need to do. But we want to be able to show up as our full authentic selves to the extent that we there is psychological safety in organizations and in non-Muslim spaces to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of constantly showing this narrative of like Muslim women like at any provocation just ripping their hijab off for like literally no reason or like oh we fell in love with a boy so like and he won't like us without that like again but even that is still you think as a non-Muslim yeah. obviously Dan not you random (laughs) phantom non-muslim who doesn't like muslims speaking to this person you think that muslim women wearing hijab are doing it for the men in our lives and we're saying it's not but -hmm. you putting out stories about muslim women taking off their hijab for a boy for a man is exactly the same thing it's not because we internally don't want to wear a hijab and there are muslim women who don't want to wear hijab who don't or used to wear it who take it off and that is their right to do so Mm -hmm. but again the point being is because they want to because of their beliefs and their values and not because a man in their life is influencing them. <laughs> no, and spot on. And it's, it's, it's funny because again, another one of the videos, they talked about this idea that everyone believes that Muslim women are doing this for the male gaze. And it's like, no, like we don't care. <laughs> this is how we find our dignity. Yeah. This is what we believe. This has nothing to do with them. Yeah. Um, and so I like the way that you, and you're right. In Western media, that's oh, that is one of those storylines where she's met a boy who's not Muslim. Yeah. What's she gonna do? You know, and it's yeah. like, that's, he won't that's like not the story. Her. <laughs> yeah. You have to, and that's the thing. Like that is 
so much of the story, like again, connecting it to the experiences of many marginalized groups, which for me is really important, not just as a learning tool, because anyone from a marginalized group may be able to understand Muslims better because it's part of their own story, mm-hmm. but also just like our internalized work for relieving ourselves of white supremacy is something that we as a collective, no matter what our identities need to come together to do. Right. So the idea being of like white supremacy is like forcing groups that will never benefit from white supremacy norms to shed our identities as much as possible. Just don't be you try and be white as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Try and be Christian, try and be male, try and be all of the like able body, like all of the most like privilege, like whatever, like pillar of identity we're talking about like just try and be the most privileged version of that right right? and that definitely all falls within white supremacy norms so try and be that as much as you possibly can even if you have to like literally leave everything about your identity and that's another reason why folks who have who are white whatever Mm -hmm. their other identities are don't necessarily understand is that white supremacy has absolutely harmed you as well oh god you had like you know (laughs) i am in like i'm born and raised in the united states i'm american so america is you know united states is my context so folks from what would be considered white european countries when they immigrated to the united states however many generations ago like they had to leave off their cultures mm-hmm. they had mm-hmm. an ethnic culture they had heritage they had food they had language they had names that they would name their children and so on like that have all been lost yeah to right white supremacy. because yeah because of white supremacy exactly mm-hmm. so it's not just folks like bipoc folks or mm-hmm. muslims or you know other identity groups that are saying like very clearly you can observe them visually that oh they are othered by white supremacy right. and therefore we need to you know support them and make sure that you know we're leveling the play field for that it's like no no no. this has harmed you too this harms yeah. everyone yeah no it's and it's it's uh one of the episodes that i'm currently researching is looking on looking at destroyed black towns and oh. how they came about and there's one i think it was in cincinnati this goes back to i think it was like the 1700s where mm. wow the, that far back oh it goes further it goes yeah. further yeah um but the there was this an Irish population had moved into the town mm. and they were in the process of suppressing the black cult, the black um, citizens and mm. removing them. And the mm. Irish culture had to decide in that moment, were they Irish or were yeah. they white? Yeah. Because if they were Irish, they were going to be othered or, but if they were white, they yeah. can be a part of the dominant party. Yeah. And they essentially moved into the neighborhoods that had been cleared yeah. out. And so it became a survival tactic. Yeah. And there are numerous times in history, you'll see that where I currently live uh, in Northeastern Pennsylvania, mm. we did a, my students did a documentary a couple of years ago on one of the um, mining facilities here. So mm. anthracite coal helped World War mm. I and World War II. This is what we're known for. But they told a story about early on, if you were a shopkeeper, mm. you had to keep goods from Lithuania and from Ireland and from Whoa. Italy because there were all these this yeah. all, this was the, where the immigrants came. Yeah, and they yeah. were working in the coal mine, so you had to be yeah. able to speak a little bit of each language, but you had to carry yeah. goods from each of those groups mm. because ethnically, this yeah. is what they ate, this is how yeah. they spoke. But after a while, that it becomes just, just white. Yeah, in a white yeah. supremacist culture, that you've yeah. lost all of that. So this idea of of yeah. code switching and, and erasing yourself yeah. has been happening for years, but white 
dominant culture doesn't realize you were the first victims. Yeah. Yeah. Of what happened. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, like this is something that I am struggling with and working towards. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actively dedicated to figuring this out. (laughs) So anyone listening, like you hit me up if you have resources, like, please. So within Muslim spaces specifically. So I have like the DI work that I do like in non-Muslim spaces, but this is like truly my like my core values as a human being. I want to be bringing this kind of inclusion equity work into Muslim spaces. And so in Muslim spaces, not all Muslims are immigrants or children of immigrants. Mm-hmm. However, in the spaces that I am, there are a lot of folks who are descendants of immigrants from the 19th, like their parents, grandparents have come since the 1960s, which we know the only reason that that they were able to come was because of civil rights, black civil (laughs) rights activists who changed the laws that Mm -hmm. allowed us to even be here. Right. So we owe the black community, like literally everything. So one, there's that, which, you know, a lot of immigrants are not aware of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I personally do not take, I, and I, and this isn't to criticize folks who are more critical or, Mm -hmm. you know, have a harder time with, and who are more negative about it. I don't find it as productive to be like, oh, let's hate on the immigrants because they don't understand this history. Like they didn't go through the American schooling system where even me, like I, again, grew up in the United States. I did go through the American schooling system. I learned something of the civil rights movement. I learned something of like Mm -hmm. these laws changing. And of course, not nearly as much because they, you know, whitewash everything. Mm -hmm. But immigrants like they didn't go to school here they literally just came started working like they didn't go and take a social science class um in the meantime and you know they were surviving racism themselves like so it's very complicated trying to talk to like immigrants or descendants Mm -hmm. of immigrants from brown communities right so for me it's a matter of like one bring like bringing that history into their awareness and the idea being like when they came and i think i saw a new york times article from Oh, I'm totally blanking. Um, a very well-known, very popular, rightly so, black scholar. Oh, I'm totally blanking his name. Um, <laughs> It'll hit you when we're done recording. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, like literally the end, it's the moment we end this. I'm gonna remember it. But um, the idea being is that like when brown immigrants came to this country, they observed, even if they didn't know what it was called, they mm-hmm. observed how black folks were being treated by those at the top of the racial hierarchy by white folks right Mm -hmm. and this is of course all generalizations not all black people not all white people not all brown okay okay so yes but generally statistically we know this is to be true so the idea being they observed how people at the bottom of the racial hierarchy are being treated and how people at the top are being treated and they had to decide, okay, we mm-hmm. already visually look different. We already like, we speak with accents. We're barely surviving. We've left. They have probably left incredibly difficult situations in their home country. Like, cause it is incredibly traumatic. And like, you're leaving literally everything, everything. about your life, your heritage to come to a brand new place to be discriminated <laughs> against constantly. Right? right. So just like, it's not like people who are like just purely malicious for no reason. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't excuse it, but, but yeah, yeah. it gives a more nuanced complicated Mm -hmm. view of why things have happened and so looking at do they want to align themselves with people who even in their own home country 
the way black folks are being treated, do we want to align ourselves with them or do we want to try and align ourselves with privilege so that mm-hmm. we can like shed just a little bit of the discrimination that we face, right? right? So again, absolutely not excusing it. However, just that we can understand how in very difficult circumstances, white supremacy, again, oppresses all peoples and keeps us all separate and not recognizing our shared humanity. Yeah. So I want to pivot. I want to I want to talk about your DEI work. What is it that you, what are you bringing? I know a lot of it talks about finding ways of, which baffles me that it's not being done, but finding ways of including religion in DEI yes. um, as a way of including looking at the Muslim faith as an underrepresented group, which it is. And if it's not mm-hmm. being done, fire your DEI person. <laughs> um, but talk about some of the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. So exactly. In diversity, equity, inclusion, it is a young field, right? Mm -hmm. To be fair. Um, Mostly when you talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, or anyone even thinks about it, whether you're in the field or not, you think of race, you think of gender, you think of sexual orientation, right? Awesome. Those are all identities that need to be having attention given to them and, you know, leveling, leveling the playing field and so on. Okay, cool. Up and coming, I am observing that neurodiversity and Mm -hmm. uh, disability are kind Mm -hmm. of like the next up and coming identities that are getting more and more attention, as they should. Great. Religion, whether it's Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, Sikhs, any marginalized religious identity is like almost never, almost never mentioned, right? It's definitely Mm -hmm. not centered. It's definitely not like a big part of the conversation, but it's hardly even like just a side note, like a bot, yeah. a footnote. Right. And if it's mentioned, it's usually someone who is a member of that religious group mm-hmm. mentioning it. Right. Um, so the idea for me is that never ever to be in competition with other groups. Again, that is part of white supremacy to like mm-hmm. pit us against each yep. other and trying mm-hmm. to be like, and then it completely ignores the intersectionality of that. What about black Muslim women, right? right? If we don't talk about race and racism, then I and I only talk about Islam and Muslims and Islamophobia, then I am not properly trying to create space and leveling the pain field for folks who have different intersectional identities, mm-hmm. right? So just you know, different, you know, there's men, yes, men yeah. being a privileged identity, but if they are Hindu, then that right. is, and, you know, if they are Indian, for se- per, mm-hmm. um, for example, then, like, racially and religiously and so on, like, so it's just, yeah. it's complicated why identity work is so important. So for me, focusing on Muslims, specifically as a Muslim, but religious identity in general, marginalized religious identity mm-hmm. specifically, um, that we are making space for people if we want diverse groups of people represented in workplaces for the business case, because it's the right thing to do, whatever it is, your motivation, like we can give any side of the spectrum of those reasonings. You want them to be included. You want them to have equitable access. Amazing. Part of identity is religion. Most people (laughs) around the world and in the United States do identify with some faith, religious tradition, Mm-hmm. We are in a very globalized society living in 2022. Like there's not this hard boundaries across the national lines. Like we're all talking to each other online. We're all aware of each other's uh, news. Hopefully if you're not living under a rock, <laughs> right? Like what happens in other countries absolutely affects us. So it's not even that like, oh, well in the United States or in our company, like we prefer to be secular or so on. Like there are people in your community 
in your spaces who are identifying with a religious faith. Mm -hmm. And if you don't address it, you are just erasing their identity. You're just telling them, you know, implicitly to just don't be you. Just please don't bring that up. You're making us uncomfortable. We don't like that part of your identity and just check that at the door. And some people like myself who wear a very visible identifier of their religious faith don't have that option, right? Uh, So... I can't even imagine how awkward it would be to like interact with me and like pretend that you don't see like the big piece of fabric literally on my head. Like you're just going to ignore it. Like we're just not going to talk about it. Like we're just not going to acknowledge it. Right. Like that's, that just seems so weird. That's right. Funny. Yeah. But I like that analogy. Cause that's, that's whenever, so whenever I talk talking about race and, and these things, you know, I always say mm. that when I walk into the room, I am immediately the black guy. There's nothing I can do to yep. hide that. Yep. Even if I wanted to, I walk in the space, the black guy has arrived. Yep. And I've never thought about when looking at the Muslim religion, those who are wearing a hijab are wearing, like, it's the exact same thing. If everything else is the same, when you walk in, the Muslim woman is here. Like, you can't yeah. avoid it. And so you're right. Not talking about it yeah. or saying, I don't see religion or whatever however you would say that is asinine because it's like, yeah. mm, it's here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you it, don't, you, like, it's here. Yeah. If you don't see it, you don't see me. Um, yeah. But I also like what you said about the intersectionality. Um, one of the things that I've been doing a lot of the diversity training is talking about, you're right, the big the big three, right? Uh, uh, race, gender and you know uh, lgbtq expression and all those mm, things mm, and, mm. but that when we if you really are talking about dei work at the end of the day whether they're marginalized or not you're actually including everyone mm. because a room with five white folks someone from a different socioeconomic status someone from a different religion someone who's differently abled like while yes white is what you see there are other things and so are you talking about diverse um racial diversity, religious diversity, like stop mm. lumping diversity as one thing. So we only mm. focus on those and ask the real question. So yeah. you're right. We need to be talking about religious diversity as well. And that bringing those things in, because you may have someone who on the outside presents one way. Mm. And if you don't talk about all these levels, you don't realize, oh, that person is whatever. And so that if we're being inclusive, we can't exclude things because mm-hmm. you might be na- na- nascently excluding someone, not realizing you did it because you're ignoring parts of their actual identity. Yeah. 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 And so. <laughs> um, oh, and so, man. It's yeah, complicated. It's, it's a it lot is. of work. It is. And every time every time I'm in front of a group, it's like, OK, how do we navigate this this time? And so, yeah, it's a lot of work. Um Thinking about, so think of taking all these things, right? All Mm. all the nuance and all these different Mm. things. What would you like to see from Western media and Western images as a way of sort of accurately or at least starting the process of changing the dialogue about the Muslim faith and how Muslim women are being portrayed? Like, what would you like to see? I know you mentioned... um, Ms. Marvel, uh, as as a show that's really sort of starting that movement. Well, not starting a movement, but sort of got it somewhat right. But what other ways would you like to see things being done? Honestly, like, I want to see Muslims behind the camera, in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Right? We need people. And so, obviously, again, talking specifically about Muslims, but any group. Yep. Like, give our own people, the ability to create our own stories, yeah. right? We're not going to, you know, I'm not going to ask people not in my group to make stories about me 
Like, mm-hmm. no, don't do that. Give it, give the opportunity to Muslims. There are so many amazing Muslim filmmakers and directors and producers. And I'm not in media, so I don't know all the like cool <laughs> jobs. Fine, there are, fine. I know there are so <laughs> many, I know there are so many roles mm-hmm. that come into, you know, creating a film, creating a piece of media, creating a YouTube channel, creating a anything, yeah. right? A script writer who is doing the research on like the culture so that they can weave things in and why I mentioned Miss Marvel. And to be clear, just to, you know, in transparency, Mm -hmm. I didn't in fact watch the show, but I saw a lot of Muslims talking about it. And one of the things that was really loved was that they could tell that there were Muslims in the writing room, Mm -hmm. right? The fact that the Adhan was playing in the background during one of the scenes, Mm -hmm. the fact that, um, you know, there were cultural norms about Pakistani and Desi culture that was weaved in just seamlessly and naturally shows that someone from those identities were in the room creating it, mm-hmm. right? And not just playing the characters. As right. much as playing the characters very much is important, but again, there's so much behind the scenes that leads up to what we as viewers get to see on the screen. So just turning over the roles of these different parts of creating media to people from their communities and allowing for diverse stories from within the same community. If you just tell the same story over and over and over and over and over again, like that one story might be part of the experience of being Muslim or being a woman or Mm -hmm. being, I don't know, like black or being Mm -hmm. Latinx or any identity group, but that's not going to be every story. And if you just tell the same story over and over and over again, people who haven't gone out of their way to diversify their media and just watch mainstream media, they're going to be like, oh, well, this is the story I see every single time a Muslim comes up. So that must be what all Muslims experience, which mm-hmm. couldn't be farther from the truth. 100%. Um, and the Annenberg research that I was looking at um really sort of points out the importance in that. Mm-hmm. And when it breaks down, you know, how many stories of the top 200 television shows even had a Muslim with a speaking role. To heck with representation. <laughs> if you were on camera, did you get yeah. to speak, yeah. first of all? Um, and then if yeah. you were, you were a terrorist or For what sure. do they call it? The, the patriotic pit where it's the good Muslim versus the bad Muslim, mm, right? Mm, oh, mm. look, you work for the FBI or the police. So we'll use uh, you as the one to understand why the terrorists. And it was like, wow. But that's yeah. the majority of these roles. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. love Annenberg and that research they do because um, I've taught it with women. I've taught it with uh, BIPOC stories. And it really, when you break down those numbers, it's like, this is why representation matters. When you yeah. realize in speaking roles, you only get, you know, 2%. Mm. And when we're speaking, we're either helping the government find us or mm. we're trying mm. to blow the mm. government up. Yeah. And those are the only two narratives yeah. that exist. You've really hindered everyone. Um, and so I like that. And it reminds me, um, A, you need to watch Miss Marvel. It's, it's, I love it. Um, okay. But one of the things, one of the reasons that I love the show is that there was zero exposition about her being a Pakistani Muslim. Mm-hmm. It just was. It just exists. Yeah. Right. And that's what we're in. Uh, you know, we never need exposition to understand why the white kid from Connecticut is a white kid from Connecticut. Yeah. That's just normal. That's just what we yeah. expect. Yeah. And that was one of the greatest things in the first. And I didn't finish. I haven't finished it yet. But the first couple of episodes, there was net. There's no explanation. There's yeah. no exposition. This is just who she is. Yeah. Get on board or get off now. Yeah. And yeah. it was really well done. But it also reminds me, talk about it in the room, um, when the movie Coco came out. Disney mm. tried to copyright Dios de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. They tried to copyright this phrase. Dude. Right. 
because there was no one in the room. Come on. And what they ended up doing was putting together, uh, I don't know, it was a board or a committee, I don't know what it was, but they ended up bringing in a group of Latinx consultants to go over the script and everything that they wanted to do. And the reason Coco was done so well was that they decided, if we're going to make a movie about this group, maybe, instead of getting in trouble, we just have them as part of the process and let them sort of comb over what we're trying to do. But it took almost yeah. getting sued oh. for trying to copyright Day of the Dead. And it was like, awesome. If you do that, I'm copywriting Christmas. I want all the money. Seriously. <laughs> like, that would be like making a video, a movie about Muslims mm-hmm. and trying to copyright Ramadan. Like, Yeah. I mean, literally, that's what it, that's what it was. Excuse it was, me? And the fact that it got to the point that it had gone out oh, to the copyright office was like, no one. How did this get so far? No one stopped and yeah. said, maybe. But that's, your, but that's the problem, right? You need yeah. creatives that are in the room, whether yeah. it's at the executive level, the creative level, post-production, wherever all, it is. They've got to the be things. there so that the narratives are being true yeah. and you're removing the things. That's stereotypical. Do we really need that? Or if we're doing that, show me the 18 other places where we're avoiding that narrative. Mm-hmm. So that Because like, I'm not going to say you can't make a movie and there can't be a black guy that's a drug dealer. But I also sure, want there yeah. to be 18 other black guys that are in this TV show who aren't doing drugs or for working for the police or or, or they're just normal everyday citizens yeah. so that this one doesn't stand out as the only reference. And so yeah. um, that's awesome. So um, what else would you like to see? What else do you want my listeners to know about the Muslim faith, about you, anything like whatever we talked about? Yeah. Yeah. So I know I've mentioned it uh, before, but really like I can't express how powerful it's been to follow folks on social media whatever social media you're on it doesn't matter like there are people of different identities on all socials um just being themselves just being their everyday life and weaving like you said like just their existence their identities into their content Mm -hmm. and if you're already going to be on social media what i like about this method is that it's not like i have a very short attention span uh, even if there's a book that I really do want to read, like I have a very hard time sitting and like reading for a long period or even like a like a short period of time. I have a very hard mm-hmm. time with it, even though I used to read very much. So the idea is like if you're already going to be on social media, which most people do use social media regularly, you're already going to be on these um, platforms already. When you see content creators from these different identities talking about putting out videos on TikTok or on mm-hmm. reels on Instagram or YouTube videos or LinkedIn posts or Twitter or whatever site you like <laughs> watch their video read their content 30 seconds maybe mm-hmm. you've learned a tiny little piece drip 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 months and months and months go by years go by and all of a sudden you have all of these different examples in your mind with people just living their lives, being normal people, and you're not going to have this perception of Muslim means this, black person means this, woman means this, Asian person means this, whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. for instance, for myself, right? Like, I've done this <laughs> with black women, and so I'm active on TikTok. There are a lot of uh, black women who have cats, mm-hmm. and so they just like post videos of them messing around with their cats and playing with their cats, and like it's just like so nice. And like cat videos are really common. Like mm-hmm. I have cats, I like cats, but specifically seeing black women with cats, just like 
makes it something that, oh, I identify with and I see the hum- shared humanity with someone else instead of going up to random people on the street or like trying to be friends with someone purely as like a performative so that I can say I have mm-hmm. a friend from this community and this community. Like, I don't want to be someone's Muslim friend, right? That's <laughs> gross. That's creepy. Like, I want someone to like actually like me for who I actually am and not just my identities. Right. My identities are part of who I am, but I don't want you like, trying to like play friend bingo of like all these different identity groups so people have already gone out of their way to produce this content Mm -hmm. you know be respectful don't leave like intrusive questions or comments on their you know posts or anything like that but again the idea being you're already going to be on social media it takes a very little amount of your time to just consume it and Mm -hmm. then drip 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 over time it's just going to break so many stereotypes and especially a lot of americans and a lot of people in general don't live in very diverse areas, yeah. right? So even if you wanted to go out in person to events or mm-hmm. you know c- visit communities, there might not be places for you to go, right? right? And traveling is very expensive and not always a privilege that everyone has, right? So anyway, that that is something that I, I like. I really recommend to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Learning and once you've learned about another group, go find something about neurodiversity and go learn Mm -hmm. about something about Muslims and go learn Mm -hmm. about, you know, another ethnic group that you've never heard of before. Right. You know, people who travel and show things that are not just like the tourist sites. Right. What is Mm -hmm. it like in everyday life? Explaining different terms, explaining different practices of how people live their lives and not just like trying to persuade of like, oh, this is the better way to live. No, no, no. Just like this is how it exists. And you can just appreciate it and learn more about it. That's like what I recommend for like the average person and honestly everyone for me personally, my DEI work specializes again in Muslim Mm -hmm. inclusion and then bringing religious considerations into existing DEI work. If anyone listening to this is an org leader who would be interested in that kind of work, or if you're a DEI practitioner who wants to start including religion into your DEI work, hit me up. Where, Where can they find you? They can find me on social media, for sure. My <laughs> biggest platforms right now are TikTok and LinkedIn. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can reach me there. I'm also transitioning over to YouTube, but you can find me at my website, RahimeRamazani.com. No periods, no spaces, no like slashes or anything. However, I'm sorry. Yes, you will have to uh, spell my name correctly. <laughs> How do you spell your name? <laughs> it will be in the show notes. <laughs> yes, it will be in the show notes. So. Yeah. All right. Well, Rami, Rahime. You know how long I practiced this. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. Thank you. And it was one of those things I kept looking at it and I I looked at your name and I knew Mm -hmm. that normally I would say hi. Mm-hmm. And it's he. And so I had to practice oh, it to yeah. make like is it just Rahime, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Instead of it being Rahime, like a yeah, yeah. he. I had to keep telling myself. So yeah, yeah. but Rahime, thank you very thank much for you. your time today. Um and hopefully we'll find a I'll find a reason for us to connect together here, here in this future. So Oh, I'm sure we will. It's oh, been yeah. fun. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great day. Systemic is a production of Park Multimedia. Thank you for taking the time to listen and remember to solve any problem you have to first acknowledge that it exists.